Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We're in Matthew chapter 5 in our Bibles. We're going to be looking at verses 21 to 26. I've titled the message today, It Starts in the Heart. It all starts in the heart. We're working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview. We look at Jesus' view on all kinds of different topics. Really, Jesus' worldview, Jesus' view and opinion about all that is going on in this day and age. And we are landing on the Sermon on the Mount at this time. We've worked through the Beatitudes, and now we are working through all these different topics that just pop up on the Sermon on the Mount. What, why do they call it the Sermon on the Mount? Because Jesus literally just walked up to the side of the hill, sat down, and his disciples came and gathered around, and he just started teaching them these commands. And then later on, towards the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus will then tell his disciples, after he has died and risen from the dead, go therefore... Make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe what I commanded you. Teach them, these disciples, to observe what I have commanded you. We are looking at Jesus' commands today. We are to absorb them ourselves and to see Jesus' worldview, to take on his worldview, and then we are to teach that to the nations. That's what we're doing here today. Heard of a story, maybe you heard it. 85-year-old couple who had been married almost 60 years. They got into a car accident and sadly died and went to heaven, but they had been in good health the last 10 years of their life due to their interest in health food and exercise. When they reached the pearly gates, St. Peter took them to their mansion, true story, which was decked out with a beautiful kitchen, master bath suite, and jacuzzi. They oohed and awed. And the old man asked Peter, well, how much is this going to cost, sir? Peter said to him, it's all free. It's heaven. Everything is free. Next, they went out to survey the championship golf course that backed up to their home. They would have privileges of golfing every single day. And each week, the, ch- the course would change to a new one representing the great golf courses on earth. The old man says, what are the green fees? This is amazing. Peter said, that's that's the thing. It's heaven. It's all free. You play for free. Next, they went to the clubhouse and they saw the lavish buffet with the cuisines of the world. Everything you could ever imagine wanting to eat is there. Peter says, the old man says to Peter, this is crazy. This buffet, it's nicer than I've ever seen. How much is this going to cost? He says, that's the thing. It's heaven. It's all free. Anything you want. And check this out. You can eat as much as you want. He says, what? Well, where's the low fat and low cholesterol tables? Peter said, that's the best part. You eat as much as you want, whatever you want, and you never get fat and you never get sick. This is heaven. Isn't that amazing? After hearing that, the old man went into a fit of anger. He threw his hat on the ground and started stomping on it. St. Peter and his wife both tried to calm him down. Sir, sir, what's wrong? The old man looked at his wife and said, This is all your fault. If it weren't for your blasted health nut brand muffins, we would have been here ten years ago. (laughs) 
true story. I don't know if you saw, but KTLA News, maybe you saw it yesterday. Lady on the news yesterday bummed out that she was not able to open her restaurant, the Pineapple Hill Saloon and Grill in Sherman Oaks. There was a ban on her restaurant because restaurants are closed right now. But crazy, in the same parking lot, a film crew set up tents as far as the eye could see, and they were serving people food all outside. And she's like flipping out, like, this doesn't make sense. Wait, my restaurant's here. I could easily service that film crew, make a little money, and I have an outside seating that's actually nicer than theirs, and it meets all the guidelines. She was so upset because her establishment was being crushed. She's very angry. And she explained this online and Twitter and it hit the news and now it's it's ca- catching uh, national attention. Because we don't get it. Why does this film crew get to meet but then she wasn't able and she had spent I think $80,000 to set up her outside uh eating structure so that people could be serviced and she could have easily done that now i'm not here to cause uh problems or to argue about the details of all that but i i'm just telling you what i see and what i feel is happening in our culture another thing katie and i were over in canoga we were driving back from the mall and i looked to my right no joke we i saw a film crew is we we lived in encino the last five years we saw film crews Everywhere. I mean, everywhere. They're always around. They're never there. So I know what a film crew looks like. And I looked to my right. They had taken up this entire block section, and they were indoor and outdoor. It was 100, 150 people easy. I'm like looking around. I'm like, wait a minute. I like wanted to blow my whistle. You know, I'm like, beep, 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 beep. You know, that, that, is, no social distancing. You know, that's way more than 100, 150 people. You can't be doing that. The reason I point that out is because the the frustrations are building amongst us, and I feel it too, and I want you to know that I feel it, because we're going to talk about that today, about anger. And Jesus approaches anger and how to deal with it. And there are a lot of things that aren't fair in life. There are a lot of things that aren't going to go the way that we want them to. I should also add that um, one other thing, because maybe you're wondering, like, well, are we able to meet? Yes, we are actually able to meet. And check this out if you didn't know. The case for churches and the governor of California went all the way to the Supreme Court. Did you know that? And on Thursday, they declared that churches are able to be open outside. And California. Now... I'm not going to encourage churches to meet outside and not be safe. No, please meet outside and be safe and follow the guidelines. But the fact of the matter is you can't shut church down. We should be able to meet. And there were, there were two categories that the news announced that were able to meet. It's churches, synagogues, and protests. But they forgot to put the rest of the things in the news that I see every single day. Home Depot, 500 people in there. I'm in there all the time. There you are, yeah. Uh, all of the grocery stores, all the big box stores, and they are making billions of dollars right now. Billions. While well, the small businesses that normally would have that business can't be open, can't make money, they absorb all that cash. There's something unfair, and we all feel that. Maybe you feel the pressure on your own life. Maybe you feel the pressure... Um, through a family member or a friend who is, yeah, they're hurting and they're suffering. We know people in the church whose businesses are not working and running like they were before. And I think the the best thing we could ever do is figure out how to do it safe. 
Why can't everybody be open? You just figure out how to do it safe. If we're going to keep things open for anybody, let it be open for everybody. If it's going to be closed for some people, it's got to be closed for everybody. We can't be playing this game of figuring out left or right. I bring this up in the intro because it's our context. And it's what makes us angry. It's what gets us frustrated. People are frustrated because people aren't being safe. People are frustrated because people aren't allowed to be open. People are frustrated because people are open. People are frustrated because they think they're being safe. Other people don't think they're being safe. There's all kinds of arguments going on. 2020, the holiday season is here. Merry Christmas and a happy new year. Can I say that? And sadly, I already feel it on the freeway, right? I need, I need, we all need to get like get the Christmas lights on the top of our cars and a little like wreath on the front. Like maybe that'll make you feel a little happy when you drive. Crank up the Christmas music when you drive, man. It like really gets you like going. It's really hard to cut somebody off and brake check them when you know it's the most wonderful time of the year. It all starts in the heart. Today Jesus goes after the heart, the heart of the matter. The topic of anger and how to deal with it in today's world. We're stepping into six examples of where the Lord gives the true interpretation of the law against the interpretations of the Pharisees. It is a contrast between, again, the Lord and the Pharisees. The Lord Jesus is clarifying the true meaning of the Old Testament. And I know this is kind of um, a little bit heady and a little bit uh, deep in our Bible study, but I want you guys to get this because... We do this over and over in our reading. When you read the word of God, you need to always ask this question. What is the author's intent? What is he trying to say? What are they writing to me? What does, what is the true meaning here? Jesus clarifies that we have another textual issue that the Pharisees are getting wrong and Jesus sets them straight. We are in Matthew chapter five. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him in this beautiful outside. It actually works right now. My, I don't feel like I'm getting sunburned or anything. The sun feels kind of nice and, uh, the air temp is just right. We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him and to remember whose word we are reading. We'll start in verse 21 and go to verse 26. It says, Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, there remember that your brother And remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar. Go first, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your teaching. We ask now by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would receive your good news. We would receive your word gladly. We would understand it. We'd be able to apply it. We pray, Lord, that you'd speak to the areas of our life. If 
the anger, Lord, secret anger, secret frustration, bitterness, all of these things, you would speak to us. We need you. We can't do it without you. We all need you the same today. We call upon you to work in our lives now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus uses this phrase over and over in this chapter. Five to six times in verse 21. Take a look. He says, You have heard it said to those of old, but I say to you. Jesus says, You've heard it said this, but I say to you this. I could even say that in this culture and this time. You have, said, you have heard it said this. This is common knowledge in our society, but I say to you this. You understand this, but I got something else. I want to clarify what that really means. He's comparing and contrasting between the Pharisees and himself. So what law did they make up and what is the problem? You have heard it said by the Pharisees and the religious leaders, but I say to you this, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. So this phrase here, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment, is a phrase that has been made up. This is something that has been made up in their culture. They have taken two commands and formed them into one command. It's taken from Exodus 20, thou shall not kill. And Numbers 35.30, anyone who kills shall be put to death. And they combine these ideas. And when they've combined them together to make up their own command, it now has new meaning. And so Jesus takes them back and says, no, no, let me clarify on these things. Maybe you don't see it on the surface, but look closely. This word judgment Jesus is using as he is quoting the Pharisees is the word krisis. It means the local court or trial. Those of you who have the New American Standard Bible says in your text, shall be liable to the court. So anybody murders is going to have to go to court. That's what they're saying. If you kill somebody, you're going to court. The Pharisees have interpreted to say this, that you shall not murder someone because if you do, you'll be in danger of the punishment of the civil magistrate or the local courts. And you say, well, what's wrong with that? If someone murders somebody, they should go to court. Isn't that a good reason not to murder someone? Yes, that's a part of it. But it is missing the true meaning of what God meant when he said, thou shalt not kill. Like, how so? Let me make something clear here. A distinction, very important, because it's a confusion in our society, in our minds regarding the Bible. There can be some confusion around the word murder. There is a difference between murder and killing. Did you know that? When the Bible says, thou shalt not kill, it means Thou shalt not murder someone. Thou shalt not murder. We know killing is permitted in war and self-defense at certain times. But premeditated hatred, murder, is never permitted and always condemned by God. Someone who premeditates a killing. Let me think about it. Let me meditate on it. I'm going to take my time and then I'm going to do this thing. Or a frustration builds within a person and a bitterness... And then in a passion of a moment, someone takes another person's life. This is considered murder. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 3, the great Solomon, the wise king, said this, For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, praise God, my baby boy, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted. And Solomon points out a time to kill and a time to heal. 
He's talking about war, defense. And so there is a clear distinction in the Bible between killing and between murder. Very important. Now back to the meaning of the interpretation of the Pharisees. Notice the Pharisee doesn't mention the law of God, but only the law of man. He says, you'll be liable of the courts. You'll be liable of the courts if you kill somebody. They turn the law of God into something purely legal. And this is dangerous. What this does is it sets the Pharisee up to show everyone he keeps the law. As long as he doesn't murder anybody, he's okay. But was that all that God was saying? Just don't kill another human? Or did the Lord have a deeper intention and meaning in that command? The Pharisee, watch this family, the Pharisee, don't miss this, the Pharisee reduces the law to a command that is easy to keep. They reduce it to a place that doesn't apply to them, so they remain perfect in the eyes of people, and they can declare, I have kept the law. I am holy. Look at me. I have never murdered anybody. Have you ever seen me in court? No, you haven't. There is no legal documentation. I have done nothing wrong. I have never murdered. And this is dangerous. Because he's trying to sidestep the law of God. Point number one, if you're taking notes, don't run from conviction. Point number one, if you're taking notes, don't run from conviction. Church, is it possible like the Pharisee to try to sidestep the word of God and his conviction? Some people say in their hearts, oh man, this is a good sermon. I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. This is the perfect sermon for them. No, no, it's for you. Because you're here. I understand what you mean. It may help them where they are at in life. But we never want to try and sidestep conviction or even a reminder from the Word of God. Well, I already know these things. You need to be reminded of them clearly. Well, how do you know? Because it's in the text today. And you're here today. And we're working through the Word of God. The Pharisee very conveniently changes the meaning of the text consciously or subconsciously to get away from God. We should never run from God. Don't run from conviction. When the text says something and you are convicted, act now. Don't change its meaning. Don't say that doesn't apply to me because of fill in the blank. Acts chapter 3 verse 19. Repent therefore that times of refreshing may come in the presence of God. It is a blessing to repent. Don't harden yourselves against the truth of God's word. Lest you begin to look at the law like a Pharisee. Constantly saying, I keep the law of God. I'm good. Family, listen, did you know that that's not the point of the law? The point of the law is never so that you can say, I've kept it. That's not the point of the law. The whole point of the law is to show that you can't keep it and you need God. That's the whole point. It is a schoolmaster, Jesus told us, to teach us that we can't keep it and that we are sinners before Almighty God and we need Him to save us from our sin. And so if you're using the law so that you can line yourself up next to him and be like, dang, I'm holy, you're missing it. You're completely missing it. You're supposed to stand up next to the law and say, oh man, I'm not holy. I can't keep it. I'm not righteous. I need Christ's righteousness in me. That is the whole point of the law. If you are not moved by God's word every time it is opened, you are missing the point of reading it. Missing the point. The whole point of opening this thing. Man doesn't live on bread alone. 
It's not the oatmeal you ate this morning. Not those pancakes and breakfast burrito. No, no. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, 4. Matthew 13, 14 says, Jesus speaking, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And Jesus says, I would heal them. People say, we need better sermons. No, no. We just need the church to start applying the good sermons of the past. There's so many servants we've been convicted by we still haven't applied. We have a buffet of preachers in this day and age. We have good, good quality teaching that we can get right on our phones, podcasts and all the rest. The problem is people's ears are closed, their eyes are closed, their hearts are closed, and they are saying, that's not for me. I have not murdered anybody. I know. But that's not the point of the law. What is God really saying? William James said this, If your heart does not want a world of moral reality, your head will assuredly never make you believe in one. If your heart doesn't want it, your mind will convince you otherwise. Yep. R.B. Cruper said this, A man's heart is what he is. The declaration of who you are comes from the heart. The Pharisees read what they wanted to hear instead of reading what they needed to hear. Let this not be with us. They read as long as I don't murder someone and have to stand in court, I'm good as a citizen. Yes, and that is true. But the word of God goes far deeper than murdering someone. Far deeper. What is the point of thou shalt not kill? Look at Jesus shows the true interpretation what God really meant. Look at verse 22. But I say to you, Jesus said, You have heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus, like, I'm going to clarify this. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Did Jesus say hell? Yeah. He says it a lot. Well, I don't, I don't know about that, Jesus. And no, we don't hear about him very often. What, you actually think if Jesus was a guest speaker here on Sunday morning, he would say hell? Yes! In his Sermon on the Mount, he says it to the crowd right here. Jesus does not stop at thou shall not kill, and you shall not murder, or you will go to jail. He goes deeper. Think this through with me. What is the underlining idea God is meaning when he says thou shall not kill? Anyone who knows Almighty God will know his heart on the matter. What does God mean when he declares to the human race, do not kill each other? What is he saying? He is commanding people first not to be angry with each other, but to love your neighbor. Don't be angry because murder starts with anger and anger leads to hate and hate is rooted in bitterness. And so Jesus goes after the sinful heart of anger, which leads to murder. He's talking about anger. Don't be angry with them. 
Don't be angry or you go into the courts. Uh-oh. Thou shalt not be angry. Got me. Jesus cuts right to the heart. Isn't that amazing? He hits the bullseye every time. No one gets to sidestep that one, huh? All the Pharisees like, yep, I've never murdered anybody. You ever been angry with somebody? Oh, okay. Um, let's. I got to go. Bye. <laughs> He's accusing anyone who has anger towards their brother of being guilty of the same punishment as murder. Because that is the true meaning of the text. We may not murder them outwardly, but we murder them inwardly in our hearts. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, to hate, to feel better, to have unpleasant, unkind feeling of resentment towards a person without a cause is murder. Anger in the heart towards any human being, and especially those who belong to the household of faith, is, according to our Lord, something that is as wrong in the sight of God as murder. Did you know that? Point number two, if you're taking notes, murder in your mind. Murder in my mind. Maybe you think, oh, it's no big deal to be bitter or have hatred to some degree towards a person. Jesus says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. The word insults is the word raka. It means worthless fellow. Basically saying about a person, man, you're just worthless. You're worthless, you know that? You serve no purpose here on earth. If you died, nobody would care. This person is so worthless, I could just kill him. Thinking those types of things towards another person. You see how that anger and that frustration, that bitterness. Look, I've been there. I have been there many times in my life. I'm angry. Going all the way back to my youth, I remember being angry. Mad at things. People don't understand me. People don't understand my stance. They misunderstand me. I get so mad. Luke 6 verse 45 says, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say follows from what is in your heart. I'll never forget. I think I was probably a junior maybe a um maybe a sophomore maybe i was a sophomore um in high school and <clears throat> i um i played football for 4 years i played quarterback for the team the first couple years and i i remember my uh my tailback my halfback he i handed the ball to him and he was supposed to run up the middle and and score the touchdown we lost the game we got in the locker room. He blamed me for the whole thing. He's like, you can't hand the ball right. And I'm like, no, dude, I handed the ball right, right in your stomach. You didn't grab it. And this is right in the middle of all the guys. And so he gets in my face, and I get super angry at him. And I, um, he's actually bigger than me, but I, I push him. And there was a bench right there, the locker room benches, and push him. And we went over the bench, and then I jumped on top of him, and we started rolling around fighting there in the locker room. And I remember I was so angry. I That night, um, I was talking to some of the other guys. I said, I'm going to go find a gun. I'm going to kill this guy. I said this to one of my friends. So I was so mad. But what that was was pride and arrogance mixed with a lot of emotion and passion. And I couldn't believe that he had, he had blasted me or, or made me look so small in that locker room. And I, I was very angry at him for that. Praise God, we became uh, friends again. That's what guys do. They fight and almost kill each other, and they just go back to hanging out. <laughs> okay, you ready for the handoff? Okay, good. Let's go, Keith. Here we go. That's exactly what happened. But 
It's in us. You've got to be careful. The, the root to every great sin is in the heart of every person. You should never say, I could never do that. That's not me. I would never do that. Pride comes before the fall. It's dangerous. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Your mouth reveals your heart. Feeling that evil, hatred, and bitterness inside is the same feeling that brings forth murder. We cannot disconnect them. When we do this to people, we have already killed them. We have sinned before God. You say, no way, hating someone or being bitter at them is not the same as murder. We'll try this one on for size. If you could kill someone and there was no repercussions for it, maybe you don't even have to kill them in a bad way. You just slide them a little drink and then you just walk away and you would never, nothing would ever happen and they disappear off the planet because you don't like them. Most people would murder. Let me add the words road rage to your account in L.A., In those moments, sometimes we can't believe what other people have done to us. There's a miscommunication between cars. You can't tell what they're doing. They don't know what you're doing, and you're both just ticked. The the things that we do on the road is crazy. Look at Cain and Abel. How did Cain get to a place where he would kill his brother, murder him in, in, in his mind first? That's how it started. It started in his heart. It started with anger. He says, what? Why does God listen to my brother? He doesn't want to listen to me. Then bitterness, then hatred, then frustration at a high level, which leads to the unthinkable. And when we lose control, if you've never lost control, and you're way ahead of the rest of us. Because I think all of us have lost control of ourselves at some time. We have said something we wish we would have never said. We've done something we wish we would have never done. And we think back and say, man, I'm sure glad that didn't have... Lifelong repercussions on me, for some of us it has. But many of those moments we've lost control and we can't believe ourselves. That's not me. And praise God as Christians, that's not you. The Spirit of God is in you. And you are a different people. You are a chosen race, a holy nation set apart for His glory. And He is doing a work in you. We're all working towards a place of sanctification, a place of holiness. And we don't get there until we get to heaven. And so we are going to fail. We're going to ruin the law before God. But there is a way of grace. There is a way of forgiveness. Sadly, here in L.A., we're different though, L.A. We're different legacy from L.A. Sadly, here in the world of L.A., people don't care about killing a person physically as much as they do destroying their spirit and their soul, destroying their reputation, destroying them in any way that you can. Sadly, people in L.A. would rather kill your reputation and make you look crazy than kill you physically. They want to make you look like a fool and take your business, your livelihood, and your peace away. And though the courts don't see this, God does. No one gets away. Praise God, there is a judge in eternity who sees it all. I don't need to take vengeance into my own hands. I don't need to go and take care of it myself. I get to leave it into the hands of God. This is terrible, but this is how people try to sneak around the law of God. I didn't kill anyone. Yeah, but worse, you destroyed their life by speaking badly of them to others. Wow, we murder people in gossip, huh? Isn't that crazy how you can plant a a seed of gossip in somebody else's ear about a person and it changes their idea about that person forever. 
And that person has to work 10 times harder to try to change that back, even if they never knew that it happened. Isn't that crazy? Why can't we get to gossiping good about people? Know what I mean? Cheer about so-and-so? What? Oh man, they blessed that person the other day. I was so blown away. Jesus takes it one step further. Whoever says you fool will be liable of the hell of fire. This is the point of coming face to face with a person and calling them a fool. This has started as a thought, moved into gossip, and now you are ready to actually speak sinfully to their face. Jesus says this is murder. This person without the forgiveness of God is liable of hell. Proverbs 29.11 says a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. A wise man quietly holds it back. Man, Lord, give me that download. I want a direct download of that wisdom into my life. A wise man quietly holds it back. Meekness, strength under control. You could absolutely bulldoze a person, but you choose to keep the strength under control. Say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to think. I'm going to pray. Social media. While social media has brought the world together in one sense, it has revealed the heart of the world in another. It shows us the heart of man. Isn't this crazy? You can see the heart of people online. Because people won't say things to you to your face, but they will actually say it online to your face. (laughs) And you get to see it. Like, here's my heart. This is what I really think. It's absolutely incredible. We have got to this point. People say things to each other online. They would never say face-to-face. The hatred is exposed. If there was a murder button, I wonder how many would hit it. I think there is. It's called unfollow. I want you out of my life forever. Click. Drink the poison. Carry on. Now look, I get it. I get it. I understand. I'm, I'm on it too. I understand. Sometimes you just need to like get the negative out and it's like I cannot handle any more of this. I need to eliminate this from my life, no doubt. But man, isn't it revealing of who we are? Doesn't it get to the heart of the issue? We as a people want to run from conflict in this world instead of dealing with issues. And this is a sad thing about social media. Almost no one comes to resolution on there. Almost never. But think about if you sit down with somebody at a table and you just talk for a couple hours to really try to understand what's going on. Why do you feel that way? Why do you think that way? How'd you grow up? What are you going through? Were you just having a frustrating day? Trying to understand somebody first and where they're coming from, then coming to terms with each other. That is a true peacemaker, which we talked about. It's making peace in the midst of conflict, and there are very few doing this. Family, stay far away from hurting someone in your mind because it could come out of your mouth one day and then in your hands magically in a moment of outrage. Be careful. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, 
And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, but he that loves not knows not God, for God is love. All that God is saying, and thou shalt not kill, is the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't kill him. <laughs> Don't hate him. Don't be angry with him. Let it go. It's okay. At this point, maybe you're thinking, is there ever a scenario in which we can be angry? Yes. It's called righteous anger. Let's talk about the anger of God for a moment. There is good anger. God is angry at times, yet he is a God of love. How can he be all loving but angry at times? Because if you love something deeply, watch this. If you love something deeply or someone deeply, you will hate whatever hurts what you love. You can't love people with all of your being and not hate what hurts them. Proverbs 6, verse 16, the Bible says, there are six things the Lord hates. What? Yeah. Jesus would stand up and say, do you know there are six things that I hate today? Here it is. Seven that are detestable to him. Number one, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness, gossip who pours out lies, and a person who sorts discord amongst a family. God hates these things. Romans 12.9, the Apostle Paul said, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Do you know that Jesus got angry in the temple? Do you remember? Matthew chapter 21 says Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned their tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Jesus was angry, but was calculated and proper. He was not out of control. He displayed perfect righteous anger. He was under control full control. And he knew exactly what he was doing. I remember a pastor told me a story one time. He was walking with his family and his daughter was there and they were walking there up some street and the family's together. And some guy ran up and he saw out of the corner of his eye, he looked over and he saw a guy take a camera and take a picture of his under his daughter's dress with the camera. He looked over and he saw this guy do this. And the guy gets up and starts running What the pastor do. He started chasing him down. He went over and he grabbed him by the throat and he pushed him up against the wall, took the camera and broke it in his face. Says, you ever do that again, there's going to be some problems. And he went on his way. Now let me ask you this. What kind of man and dad would this pastor be if he just let that guy take a picture under his daughter's dress and did nothing with his daughter standing there? This is a real man who protects and provides for his family. He takes a stand and does what is necessary to defend his family. Nobody is coming into my house and going to hurt my family over my dead body. But I am never going to be the aggressor and causing or picking a fight and, and getting in someone's face for no apparent reason. This is righteous anger. And we need more men and women to stand up and do these things. Protect the children. Protect the innocent. It says there in Proverbs 6, there are six, seven things the Lord detests. One of them is hands that kill innocent, innocent blood. Jesus said, no one is going into my temple and going to be working deals. 
Nobody's going into my temple and going to take advantage of the poor and the weak, those who don't have money. That's what the money changers were doing. Oh, you got to buy a pigeon today? Oh, you got to buy a sacrifice today? Let me tell you what I'm going to do. Here we go. All right, I'll get you one for this much. Sir, I only have this much. Oh, I'm sorry. God's not going to accept your offering today because you got to pay a little more, okay? Uh, do you got a little more? Well, why don't you go sell that thing at home, come back with the money, and then we'll give you a sacrifice so God will be happy with you. Can you go do that for us? Okay, thank you. Jesus says, oh. Oh, that's it. You know what Jesus did? Here's a verse you haven't heard before. John chapter 2, verse 15. Jesus made a whip. John 2, 15. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle and scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor and he turned over their tables. He goes and he sits down and he starts fashioning a whip. The creator of the universe who made this universe, who made this earth, is making a whip. Did that thing work? Oh, you better believe it. It's the best whip made in all of history, made by Jesus. He shows up with the whip and starts cracking it in there. And I love the detail of John. It says that the coins went all over the floor. I love it. Jesus drove them out. The sheep, the cattle, everything. He says, this isn't a barn. It's a temple. Get the animals out of here. Get everything out of here. Get the money out of here. He starts throwing tables. Jesus is always portrayed as this weak little, little, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed. Hi, I'm a little baby shepherd. No, he was a beast of a man. He was a carpenter for a living. By trade, he was a construction worker. He's moving beams around. He's building stuff. He swung a hammer. He worked long days in the sun. So does he know how much a table weighs? Oh, easy. He makes tables. He walks in and he just throws these things around. And they were in fear of him. Not this weak dude showing up with a whip. He was a big guy who walked in and took care of business. He defended righteousness. It's called righteous anger. James 1.19, this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I love that Jesus took his time, walks in and cleans house. Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. For everything... Going on in this day and age, we need this word. Brothers, sisters, listen. Be angry and do not sin. This, America needs this, the world needs this. Be angry, but don't sin. Be angry at things that are wrong in the world, but don't go on sinning. One sin does not make another sin right. Don't go on sinning in your heart. And it's amazing how that, that anger needle crosses into sin very quickly. It's like, yeah, righteous anger, righteous anger. And before you know it, you're in sin. <laughs> we need to keep it with the Lord. Look, you can't get angry at everything that happens and say this is righteous anger. Guys, my wife didn't make me dinner and I have righteous anger. No, sorry, brothers. You're out of line. Maybe you should make dinner with that attitude. Come on, people. We should be a joyful people full of Christ. Servants. Laying down our lives for other people. 
Loving our neighbor as ourself, let us be marked with that for our whole life. And maybe there are a couple instances of great righteous anger when it happens. The Gospels are not full of Jesus making whips. You, you barely find the verse. You're like, I didn't even know that was in there. His life is full of compassion and healing and love and servanthood. But he stands up for the innocent. We should never be angry with sinners in the end of it all. But mad at sin, mad at evil, mad at the enemy, sad for this fallen world. After all, as were such some of us. We were that sinner, hurting people, running from God, and someone loved us. Someone loved us enough to preach the gospel to us, praise God. You can't stay angry with people forever. You got to let it go. They need Christ. Sin has poisoned the heart and mind of man. And they need the gospel just like you needed it. Praise God the apostle Paul was saved, huh? No, let's take up a militia and let's go take him out. Hold on. Well, he's killing all the Christians in the first century. Yes. And God chose to save him. Amazing. Why that guy? God says, I'm going to use him greatly for my glory. Martin Lloyd-Jones, our anger must only be against sin. We must never feel angry with the sinner, but only full of sorrow and compassion. They're just sick like the rest of us. And they need the medicine of Christ to heal them and save them. Praise God we got a dose of that medicine. Without the gospel, without the work of Christ, we would be that person. We have to remember who we were. And where God has saved us from. Family, the more holy we become, the more angry we should be with sin, and the more loving we should be with people. Let me say it again. The more holy we become, the more angry we should be with sin, and the more loving we should be with people. Church, the only way we can get there to hate sin but not hate the person is to look at the way God has looked upon us. Has has He hated and destroyed us? No. Though he can and he should, instead he has shown us great love and compassion, though we don't deserve it. Right now he is showing it to us. He has every reason to say, you've sinned against me again, the relationship is cut off. Unfollow. If God acted like us, he'd be unfollowing the world, huh? Instead he sent his son to die for the world. Incredible. God is definitely angry with the world and their sin. He is appalled by the wickedness and evil on the earth. But he is long-suffering. His long-suffering is greater. He is slow to anger, slow to wrath, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we need that same heart. We are challenged by the love of our God to make things right. If there is a If there is wrong anger and bitterness towards another person, we have to make things right. We have to. Jesus even commands us to. Point number four, 23 to 26. Take a look. Leave your gift, go and forgive. If you're taking notes, point number four, leave your gift, go and forgive. Leave your gift, go and forgive. Notice it's not enough just to make things right in our own hearts, saying, Lord, I see what you have done for me. I'm going to forgive this person in my heart and let it go. I'm okay on my end. No, the Lord says this. Jesus says this. Look at how far he calls us to go. 
If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first. Be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Do you know what this means? Exactly what it says. If you are coming to church to offer your worship to the Lord and you have something against your brother or sister, this is especially those who are in the church, you must go to them and make things right before you can worship. Before you can move forward with your walk with God, you need to make things right. How can we say, oh God, I love you, I'm for you, and then you got a big sin problem over there. How can we do this? There is to be no division in the body of Christ, and I get it. Everyone isn't going to be best friends here. But we need to be at peace with one another. We can't go around living with anger and bitterness in our hearts. And you know what kills more than anybody? Kills you. Kills me. Bitterness will eat you away. Man, there's been times being here in L.A., I reflect back on the six years. Sometimes after a week of church, I just go home, and you guys know I like to do construction and do projects at the house, and sometimes I'll be at home, I'll have my earbuds in, I'll just be listening to music and working, and all of a sudden I just get waves of like bitterness, waves of just heavy, just like, man, why am I angry about that? Why am I bummed about that? Why, what is with that? Or just feel that in my heart. And that, that bitterness, it can eat away at you. It can run in your mind over. It's, it's like a replay. It just keeps playing. And you're like, go away. Go away. Why, why won't you stop? It will eat away at you until you deal with that thing. And you've got to deal with it family first. Watch this. Before God. You've got to go to Him first. Don't come to Him with arms wide open worshiping when you've got a big issue over there with your brother. You, if you're not loving your neighbor, you're not doing the com- first command. You're not loving God. The way that you love God and display that you're loving God is by loving your neighbor. I love God. Show me. I love God. Show me by the way that you love one another. Look, I know we are not going to be at perfect peace with everyone. Trust me. So Apostle Paul says, live at peace as much as possible with all people, as much as possible. It ain't going to happen with everybody, but man, on that day, we want to at least make the attempt, build the bridge. Jesus says, first be reconciled before you come to worship. There's to be no division in the body of Christ. Can't go around living in anger and bitterness in our hearts. Jesus says we are murdering each other in our hearts, trying to look holy on the outside. Psalm sixty-six, eighteen: If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If there is sin in my heart that I have not confessed to the Lord, my worship is useless. When are we to make things right? Verse 25, specific instruction. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. Do it now. Make things right. Send a text. Make a phone call. Hey, you know, the Lord was just speaking to me today, and I just want to say I'm sorry for X, Y, Z. Really sorry. Just want to make things right. That is the freest thing you could ever do. Most freeing thing you could ever do. Most healing thing you could ever do. You get free. Isn't that great? No more bondage on your end. You're free. You did what you were supposed to. And boom, when you put those earbuds in, nothing more in your mind. Amazing. I'm free. Because you did what you were supposed to. But when you know there's an issue on your end, you're like, man, it's always just pride telling us we can't say sorry. We can't go make things right. But it's magic when you do. You're free. Even if the person doesn't accept it, you're free. 
When we are confronted with our sin, we need to deal with it right now. A little leaven will leaven the whole loaf. A little cancer will kill the whole body. Be careful. In closing, I want to leave you with three practical points, okay? You can use it this week, all right? It's only going to take me like three minutes. Here it is. James chapter 1, verse 19. Write this down. James chapter 1, verse 19. Some of you already know it. My beloved brothers, sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. Okay, number one, here are your three tips. Quick to listen. Quick to listen. So I got, your grandma used to tell you this, right? So God gave you two ears and one mouth, okay? Quick to listen. Tune those babies in. We are not quick to listen. When someone is talking, we're quick to respond. What if if you just like stood back for like 20 seconds? Like after someone said something, you just sit there and you're just like, like, what are you doing? Just listening. Just digesting. Just thinking about what I'm going to say before I say it. Quick to listen. Family, I dare you to do this simple thing. Marriages, family members, friends, I dare you to try, try to fully understand why that person is thinking what they're thinking. Why? What's the motive? Are they just absolutely evil and wicked and just the darkest people on the planet? Probably not. If they're one of your friends or family members, probably not. Well, <laughs> probably not. There's probably a motive there. Try to fully understand them. That takes a lot of listening. You know, I've had to learn this over the years. We'll be coming up on 10 years of marriage this year. Praise God. We're pretty excited about that. But what I, hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but one thing that I've learned, uh, that I'm learning is that my wife does not speak in sentences. She speaks in paragraphs and pages. Babe, I know you're listening right now. I love you. She's articulate. She's highly intelligent. She has a lot to say, and she is really getting to the bottom of something. And so if I just get a little tweet, a little text message in my ear, and I think I already know what she's saying, I miss it. But if I am quick to listen, if I listen for a long period of time until she is done talking, finish what she's trying to say to me, then I get the understanding, and then I end up responding correctly. But if I think I already know what she's saying, and then I'm just like, no, 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 and I jump in there, it doesn't work. Quick to listen, fully understand. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You jump in there with a harsh word, get ready for a nuclear bomb, huh? Point number two, slow down. Slow down. Slow to speak, slow to respond. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Don't text back, don't email back, and don't talk back quickly. Cool down first. I've had to learn this in the church plant, really. Do not text back quickly, do not email back quickly, and do not respond quickly. Slow down. Take your time, figure out what's going on, then then take a step. Cool down first. Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Overlook the offense. I love that. There's an offense there, I'm going to overlook it. 
this is the old man. This is the old woman. They just let things go. They're gracious, a lot more gracious than they were when they were 20. Finally, tip number three, slow to get angry for anger does not produce right living before God. You got to ask yourself, is this a good reason to get angry? And you want to destroy your night, destroy your week, destroy that mindset that was so peaceful and nice. Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Get ticked off fast. You're a fool. The Bible says, amen. Thank you, Zoe. There are few people on the planet who can dwell in perfect anger for long periods of time. It can quickly switch from righteous anger to sinful anger. It's we need to be slow to get angry. Proverbs 16.32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. It starts in the heart. What's the opposite of hatred and murder? Loving one another as Christ has loved us. That's our calling family. That is our, that's our job. That's our mission. And I'm calling on you, Legacy City Church, once again. Please deepen that relationship with God. Understand the one who is love and go on loving your neighbor. That's all Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. Not not being in court. No, no. We're talking about loving your neighbor. If you're angry with somebody right now, if you're bitter with somebody right now, if you're working through something right now, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask God to do that work in your heart. Soften that heart. Give you his heart. So we can go on loving and forgiving as God has loved and forgived us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have been oh so gracious and patient with us. Wow. Father, you are so slow to anger. And you are quick to listen. You're always there listening. You're always there waiting for me. And Lord, you always speak at the right times to me. You always speak at the right moments. You always minister perfectly to my heart. I'm so thankful for that. And I pray now for the church as a whole. Oh God, would you soften our hearts? Would you soften our minds? Would you give us your perspective? It's just sin. It's just sin hurting our, our lives. It's sin hurting our relationships. It's sin hurting our church. It's hurting our world. It's hurting our city. And Lord, I pray that we'd be able to see beyond that. And we'd be able to see your great forgiveness and love in our lives. Why did you go so far to forgive us and to forget all that we've ever done? Your love is great. And Lord, I now pray for each one that's working through some sort of bitterness, some sort of frustration, some sort of anger, Lord, that is not of you. Lord, we pray for those that we're having problems with. We pray that you'd bless them. We pray that you'd fill them with more of you. We pray that you'd give them joy and peace tonight. We pray that you'd fill their cup. We pray that you'd give them grace that they don't deserve. You've done it for us. And Lord, we pray that you'd break off all the rock around our heart that stops us from loving our neighbor as ourselves, stops us from loving you completely. We lift these relationships into your hands. We lift these issues. Lord, we pray for our own anger that it would only, Lord, we would be marked not by anger. We would be marked by meekness and humility and servanthood reflecting you, Lord Jesus. We love you, King. 
We lay our lives at your feet now. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.